All right, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to the book of Philippians. And I'm going to ask you if you would to bear with me for a moment. I, I want to read a few verses of Scripture there, and then I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about those verses of Scripture. And so if you go to Philippians, the third chapter, with verse 1, we're going to read down to 14. <clears throat> this is Paul writing. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh of any other man thinketh he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Go to verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. Everybody say that with me. I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We just ask you, God, to speak to us today, Lord, and instruct us in the desire of your heart and how you want us to live our lives. We thank you for the opportunity to know you, to worship you in a country where we still can, and we don't take that for granted. We say thank you, and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, I want you to turn around, look at your neighbor, and say this with me, the partnership. <laughs> say it one more time, the partnership. I want to talk to you about the partnership today, and I'm going to go back to this in just a second. But let me, uh, you understand how a partnership works, right? That when you enter into a partnership, what you're looking for is someone that is going to benefit you. You enter a partnership with someone that will be, of, so you have mutual benefit from one another is really how that kind of goes is what you're looking for. You also, it's important that you can trust the person that you're entering into a partnership with. How many, don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you ever entered a partnership where you got took for a ride? I'm talking about, and, and, and that, that never ends well, does it? It's like you, you know that because you're a Christian, you can't pulverize them. So you, you have to... You, you, have to, you, you have to guard yourself when you're entering a partnership. Having said that, let's go back and look at what Paul writes to the Philippians. Now, keep in mind that Paul is speaking to a group of Jewish believers, and he's trying to share with them 
why things have changed for him. If you look at verse 1, it says, finally, my brethren. Everybody say, finally. At the end of the service, you'll all go, finally. Finally means it's finished. That it's, it's, this, is, this is kind of the, the end of what I've been trying to say all along. So he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Boy, that's a message in itself, isn't it? When you've been every, through everything you can think of that you've ever been through, when you felt like throwing your hands up and quitting, when you felt like giving up, Paul says, finally, rejoice in the Lord. Don't let the devil take you out. Don't allow what you've been going through to get to you. You've got to move past it and continue to rejoice in the Lord. Everybody smile at one another. Go ahead. If you're not smiling, you didn't brush your teeth. Or you just left them at, the sh at home. But smile one time. Smile. Now, what are you, what are you saying? I'm saying that... If we're not careful, we let the little things take us out. Finally, my brother, my brother, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, watch what he says here. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it's safe. What's Paul saying? He said, look, I'm getting ready to tell you. I'm getting ready to write what I've already told you. I'm going to, uh, do you ever go through the book of... Deuteronomy. Anybody go through the book of Deuteronomy? Yeah, we go through the book of Leviticus. Oh, you're just doing it again when you go through Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is reminding you about what Leviticus said. Why? Because it's trying to get something to you. So Paul is saying, look, it's not grievous for me. It's not tedious. I'm glad to do this. I said it to you with my mouth. Now I'm going to write it by my hand. And, and it's all right. I don't mind doing it. And it's not tedious for me, but for you it's safe. In other words, what he's saying is you need to get what I'm trying to say. You need to understand what it is I'm trying to communicate to you. I don't want you to be taken by surprise. And watch, here it goes, beware of dogs. Do you ever wonder where that sign came from? Here it is. Beware of dogs. What's Paul saying? Beware of those people that are constantly barking at you, that are always trying to nip at your heels, that are always trying to bite you. Do you ever see a, a dog bark? You know the dogs that really bother me? They're about that long. And they act like they're about that tall. I mean, just, man, just constantly going at you, going at you. And I'm thinking, you know, and you, you, you reach down, and those little dogs will take your finger off, man. You reach down to try and pet them, and you're trying to be nice to them. You know you could squash them. You're trying to be nice to them, and, and you reach down there, and they, bah! you know, and, and you think, man, I'm going to, oh, oh, I love your dog. I'd like to have him on a hot dog, but no, I'm kidding. I, what I'm saying is this. Is he saying, beware of dogs. You've got, you've got to understand that there are always going to be people in your life that are barking and that are trying to nip your heels. Beware of those people. Don't get too close to those folks. Now watch what he says. Beware of evil workers. Everybody doesn't wish you good. Everybody's not a cheerleader in your life. How many of you ever, well, never mind. Everybody say evil workers. 
that they plot and they scheme. Paul said, there are folks out there that do that. He said, you need to beware of them the same way that you beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. What's he talking about here? He's talking about those that mutilate. Here, here's what he's speaking about. He's talking about circumcision. Because what happened is a group of believers raised up and they said, you can't be saved unless you're circumcised. They said, unless you fulfill the covenant of Abraham, then you can't be saved. And Paul is trying to lay something out here and, and make it very plain that it is not circumcision that saves you. Beware of those that are always trying to get you to mutilate your body like it's part of circumcision. And I thought about, and you say, well, what's that got to do with us today? That, that spirit is still present. There's, there there are, are, are people that still cutting themselves and mutilating themselves, and it's not for the cause of Christ. This isn't about Abraham's covenant. It's about trying to mark themselves. Now watch this. Paul says, we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. What Paul is saying is this. It's a circumcision. Paul's saying, look, I've already, and he's going to get to that in a minute. He's going to talk about how he's already taken on the covenant of Abraham. But he's saying, you need to understand that the circumcision that's important is not the one that took place in your body. It's the one that took place in your heart. He said, we are of that circumcision, and we worship God in spirit. We're not trying to follow the letter of the law. We're not trying to follow the law to get to heaven. We're following Christ. We found out that he's every that we have need of and so he's encouraging them let go of your past turn around look at your neighbor and say let go of your past go, say it this way go ahead look at somebody and say your past is the past so let it go you you can't live in the present if you keep living in the past you ever see anybody living in the past Okay, I don't have time to go there either. Okay. He said, now watch what he says here. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Let me put it in plain English. If you think you got a reason to brag, I got more one. He said, you want, you want to put your resume up against mine? Let's go. He said, you think you've got a reason to trust in the flesh? And then he starts laying it out. He said, I've got a resume that'll choke a camel. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. What's he saying? He said, not only did I take on the covenant of Abraham, I did it according to the specific day that the law said it was supposed to be instituted. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I am of the stock of Israel. I am not a proselyte Jew. I'm of the stock of Israel. He said, I am of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was the darling tribe. It was the last son of Rachel. It was the darling tribe. He says, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. What's he saying? He said, my daddy was Jewish and my mama was Jewish. He's saying, I'm pure blood. Pure blood. Now, stay with me here. You say, well, what's that equate to us? How many of you ever heard this? And I'm not, don't anybody get offended at me. But I, I, how many of you ever heard, well, I, I go Pentecostal, five generations, count them. 
five generations. I've been Southern Baptist as long as there was Southern Baptist. I've been, <laughs> Paul's saying, big deal. <laughs> So what? what? What he's trying to do is he's laying this stuff out, and at the end of this, he's going to say, this doesn't mean anything. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said, concerning the law of Pharisee. He said, well, what's that mean? He said, look, not only did I keep the law of Abraham as a Pharisee, they didn't think that was enough, so they made up a few laws of their own. He said, I'm concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. While you were all griping about it, I was out there trying to put an end to it. While you were talking about those believers, I was arresting them. He said, I, he, he put his money where his mouth was. He went after it. He had a zeal that persecuted the church. He said, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. What's he saying? He's saying, there's nothing you can point your finger at in my life where I transgress the law. Now listen to what he says. But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. He said, everything that I thought was important, everything that I held on to with such a fervency, they mean nothing to me now. I count them loss. Why? why? Why would you be willing to throw it all away? Everything you worked for, everything you wanted, everything that was important to you, why would you throw that all away? He tells you in verse 10. He said, so I may know him. I spent a large portion of my life thinking I knew God. He said, and then all of a sudden, I'm on the road to Damascus, and this Jesus I've been persecuting lays me down on the ground and begins to tell me who he is. And I realize I don't know God at all. I've been so far from him. So now Paul is saying everything that was important, my resume, everything that I held on to, I count it like dung. It means nothing to me because I want to know him. He said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Everybody say dunamis. The word power is dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite from. It means power, strength, violence. Everybody say violence. I want to know him. Paul didn't know Jesus while Jesus was here on the earth. But he meets Jesus in the Spirit. He sees him. He said, I saw things that weren't lawful to be uttered. He has an encounter with him. But Paul knew about Jesus when he was on the earth. What happened in Jerusalem, everybody knew about. The day that they crucified Jesus made the headlines. You can't, something like that can't happen. Paul later will talk about Agrippa. He's talking to Agrippa, and he said, this thing wasn't done in a corner. I know that you, you know about this. And what Paul is saying here is saying, look, man, 
I know he was crucified. I know what they did to his body. I know how they ripped his back. I know how they laid him in a tomb. But what I don't understand is how he got out of that tomb. I want to know him in the power of that resurrection. He introduced himself to me on a road, and I thought he was dead. But now I know he's alive, and because he's alive, I can live. Because he's alive, I can rejoice. I want to know him that way. I'm not coming to church and sitting on some pew patting my hand and playing patty cake with God. I know there's a resurrected Savior that's big enough, bad enough, rough enough, and got stuff enough to take care of whatever you find yourself facing. He is alive. He's well. And Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know him. In the power of his resurrection. Now watch this because this is a problem. This is a place we have problem. He says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. The word suffering there means hardship or pain. The word fellowship means partnership. (laughs) Paul says, I I want to partner with him in his hardship and pain. We don't like anything hard, do we? How many of you ladies have ever gotten a hold of a jar you couldn't open? What do you do to it? Well, I'm talking about if you're the only one in the house, what do you do to it? You go get a knife, man. You're going to mess with me. And sometimes you're not careful, but you break the whole thing, man. You just, boom. Don't like it hard. First time I ever flew to Russia on a flight, I thought somebody was messing with me. They brought me my meal. I was on Finnish air. If you like hard bread, fly Finnish air. I picked up that piece of bread. This is a true story. I picked up that piece of bread, and I went. It didn't give. I, I, you know the tray that you lay down? I take the bread, and I'm on the tray going... I'm thinking, what is this, man? Is somebody messing with me? That was the hardest piece of bread I ever saw. I go to bite it. I don't like things hard. I want my bread soft. I want my troubles easy. Everybody say easy. Paul said, we we don't like things to be hard. The very thought of pain makes us rebuke the devil. You get, be walking, all of a sudden get a, you know what I'm talking about, all of a sudden you feel a pain. The devil, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. <laughs> the very thought of pain makes us rebuke Satan. But Jesus rebuked Peter and called him Satan when he told Jesus he'd never have to experience any of it. When he went to Jesus and tried to tell Jesus, your way is going to be easy. When Jesus was talking about what he was getting ready to face, his crucifixion, Peter went up to him and he said, no, no, no. None of these things are ever going to happen to you. You're going to be okay, man. It's going to be all right. It's going to be easy. Get behind me, Satan. Don't you think that took Peter by surprise? 
Don't you think that when the master called him Satan, he, man, what I do? What he didn't realize is that Jesus is already struggling knowing what's coming. And he's got his mind made up. I'm not going to let the devil cause me to take the easy way out. I'm going to keep my focus. I'm going to stay determined. And I am going to fulfill what God has asked me to do. Jesus, when, when Paul is writing this, please understand that Paul, if anybody knows the law, Paul does. Paul understands what's required with the offering and the sacrifice of a lamb. And sacrifice was a horrendous thing. It was, if you, if you study sacrifice and what they did to those animals and how they laid those animals apart and literally, it's not pretty. The animal doesn't know what's coming. He doesn't understand what's about to happen to him. But Jesus understood. He knew what was coming. And he knew exactly what was going to happen. And he doesn't run from it. He's re he surrenders himself to it. Isaiah 53 and 7 says he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Let me tell you, all the lambs that had ever been sacrificed would have stopped the process if they could have. None of those lambs would have walked up there and said, yeah, I'm willing, you know, go ahead and, and just take my life for your sins. Not one of those lambs would be willing to do that. But that's exactly what Jesus did. He could have stopped it, but he refused to. Peter tried to stop it with a sword. Peter takes a sword out, takes off a servant's ear, and, and, and Jesus says, what are you doing? He said, you put your sword up in a sheath. Those that pick up the sword are going to die by the sword. He said, don't you know that even now I could call to my father and he would send thousands of angels and free me from this? He said, but how would the scripture be fulfilled? What's he doing? He's saying, I'm not trying to get out of this. I'm trying to walk through this. I'm not trying to escape it. I'm trying to conquer it. Not my will but your will be done. That's what Paul's after. Paul's saying, I want to find out. I want a partnership with him so he can teach me how you can surrender your will to the will of God. You ever have trouble surrendering your will to the will of your spouse? I've been trying to get Debbie to cook a turkey for about three months now. <laughs> I bought an extra turkey, Thanksgiving, it's in the freezer. I said, babe, let's have that turkey. She said, we're going to Thanksgiving. <laughs> I don't want to wait till Thanksgiving. So you know what she did? She said, I'm going to take care of that turkey unction you got. We went to Cracker Barrel and had turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to, we, we, we struggle trying to surrender our will. Jesus chose the will of God over his own will, even though he knew there would be hardship and pain. 
he died to his own desires to, to, to fulfill the desire of God. That's what Paul's after. The type of relationship that allows him to surrender his will for the will of God. But he knows the only way he can find that is through a partnership with Christ. Everybody say partners. If I looked at Ray today and I said, howdy, partner. I came in and he and George were in the sitting across from one another. And I thought, man, if I had me a horse right now. <laughs> but it was, it was just that, that, can you come up here just a second, Ray? Let me borrow you. He comes in. Thank you. <laughs> he's, got, he's got that John Wayne walk down, man. Right. So he, but but when, when you think about partner, a lot of times we, our mind goes to things, and we think about, well, you know, how to partner. But you understood that partnership meant or used to mean something. You used to not have to have a contract because you had a word. When you shook hands, it used to mean something. But what, what's happened is everybody pushed away from that. They've gone back on their word. They, they no longer fulfill their obligation of what they said they would do. Can I give you some good news today? We still have one that you can partner with uh, that stands true to his word, uh, that will not let you go, uh, that won't forget you, that won't walk away from you, uh, but he's going to get you through whatever it is you're facing. That's what Paul's after. Uh, he's saying, look, I don't even know why he wanted me. I don't know why he chose me after everything I did, I was arresting believers. I was having them beaten, put in prison, and put to death. And now he wants me. I need to be a partner with him. I need to find out how he could love me after what I did. I need to discover. The other thing I need is I need to get over myself. I didn't get many applause on that, did I? <laughs> Here, this will help you work, work your way up to it. Look at your neighbor and say, just get over yourself. See, that wasn't hard at all, was it? That was easy. That was easy. Just, just get over yourself. Now, now, now hold your hand up like this. Act like you got a compact in it. And say, just get over yourself. <laughs> Every once in a while, you need to look in the mirror and say, just get over yourself. Just, just because things don't go the way you want them to go. See, this was the whole thing that Paul's trying to wrap his mind around. He's thinking, Jesus could have stopped it, but he didn't. I need to know that. I need to know him in that way. I need to figure out how he's able to surrender his will to the will of God, even when it involves hardship and pain. I'm willing to go with God as long as everything's easy. I'm willing to go with God as long as it's going my way, as long as I can shout hallelujah and everybody's shouting hallelujah with me. But what about when you're being stared down? What about when you're being left out? What about when you're being ostracized? Oh, I'm going to need a partner to get through that. I can't walk that road alone. So Paul looks for the partner. Paul isn't trying to escape hardship. He's rejoicing because he's been counted worthy of it. 
When's the last time you rejoiced when somebody called you a name? You know, you're just, uh, oh, thank you so much for saying that. Oh, bless you. <laughs> Doesn't happen in our world, does it? When's the last time you rejoiced? Somebody, this is a true story. Now, I know you know it's true because I've probably told it about 15 times before. <laughs> That's what happens when you get older. You get to tell everything you want as many times as you want, and everybody just looks at him and goes, oh, bless his heart. <laughs> I'm, I look in the back, Jasmine's back there going, <laughs> you're getting a little too big for you. No, okay. So here, here's, here's what happens. I'm, I'm sitting in the front. Pre, this is a true story. Preacher's preaching. It's an older man, and he's preaching. He's going back and forth, and he's preaching, and God is my witness. All of a sudden, I hear the Lord tell me he's going to slap you in the face. And I'll be, if the guy in the middle of his preaching doesn't come up to me and go, I won't. And man just popped me right across the face. What'd you do? Uh, no. no. <laughs> I turned the other cheek. Literally, if God hadn't prepared me, I wouldn't have been ready for that. So don't anybody come up and slap me. <laughs> or if you're going to slap me, ask me first, are you prepared? <laughs> Paul's saying, I can't navigate this stuff on my own. Pain and I are not friends. But somehow, he embraced it. Somehow, he's able to face it. And I need to know him that way. I need to partner with him that way because I see what came out of his pain. I understand now what came out of the hardship. And if he had not been willing to say, not my will, and I wouldn't be here today. I would be lost and undone. But because he's able to conquer, he's not only got power over death, hell, and the gray man, he's got power over his own will to surrender it, to, to yield it to the will of God. Paul finds it. Paul finds what he's looking for. He, now he's become a partner with Christ, and he's not singing the blues about it. He's praising God for it. Let me take you on a journey real quick through part of Paul's life, and I want you to see how Paul has become a partner with Christ. Are you ready? 2 Corinthians 11, starting with verse 24. Paul's talking. Five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty, and I've often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. What's he saying? He's saying, I've learned how to be a part 
partner with him. I've learned something about being able to suffer with him. I get it. I've got my mind wrapped around it. I've been through it. Now listen to what he says about it. Acts 20 and 22. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. More stuff waiting on him. He said, I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. And then he wraps it up with verse 24. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. What's he saying? He's saying, it don't move me anymore. It doesn't persuade me anymore. It doesn't rock my world anymore. When I'm facing facing hardship, it doesn't knock me back. When I'm facing pain, it doesn't change my course. I've learned how to partner with Christ. I've learned that his promise is true. I'll never leave you or forsake you, but I'll be with you to the end of the world. Listen to what he says. He wraps up Philippians this way. In verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended but this one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press everybody say it press I don't like concentrated orange juice I want it coming out of the press because when it comes out of the press it's fresh When it comes out of the press, it's pure. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, no matter what I'm facing, I'm not facing it alone. He takes confidence in the fact that the one who saved him has already conquered death, hell, and the grave. No... No wonder he's given up everything he had to know him. Because when you know him, you have everything you need. Somebody say that I might know him. The power of his resurrection. Partnership in hardship and pain. You know what that reminds me? It reminds me that when I'm going through it, When I'm feeling it, I'm not feeling it alone. He's already felt it. He's already gone through it. Well, you don't know what it's like. He does. (laughs) He's already been through it. And he's saying, you're not going to have to go through it alone. There's a, if you would throw that picture up. I think it was in 1982, the Barcelona Olympics. Derek Redman entered the 400-meter run. The race had not started, and he's not very long into the race until Derek collapsed on the track. He had torn a hamstring. Instead of walking off the track, he got back up, and he kept going. No hope of him winning the race, but yet he continues around the track. Security guards came out and are trying to take him from the track. They, they're, they're trying to get him off the track, and, and he's pushing them away. No, no. And, and, and then all of a sudden, it seemed like Derek was all alone. 
And out of the grandstands came Big Jim Redmond. <laughs> he had on a shirt that said, hug you, have you hugged your foot today? It's because it, it resonated with his son. It was like him saying, have you hugged your kid today? And he had on a hat that said, just do it. And when he walked out there, he walked out on that track and he came up behind Derek, threw his big arm around him and he said, son, he said, what's wrong? He said, daddy, he said, I've, I've worked my whole life to run this race. I don't want to walk off this track. I want to finish this race. And Jim Redmond looked at him and he said, son, you're not going to finish it alone. When security guards started to move in on him, Jim pushed him out of the way. My son is going to finish this race. And so they went one step at a time through hardship and pain. Through the struggle, they made their way around that track. And my friend, when Derek Redmond crossed that finish line, that stadium exploded into applause, a standing ovation, because somebody refused to walk away. Somebody refused to give up. Somebody said, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give up because my daddy, I said, my father is right here beside me you may have felt like you were alone you may have felt like you were navigating this race on your own honey you need to look beside you because your daddy's been there every step of the way with his arm outstretched and when you were about to collapse he lifted you up and said we got this I know something about hardship I know something about pain and as long as you partner with me, it'll never be too much for you to overcome. Would you stretch your hands to heaven with me right now? Scripture says, if the footmen have wearied you, what are you going to do when the horses get here? Let me say it to you in plain English. If you let little petty things try and take you off the track what are you going to do when it gets rough what are you going to do when it really gets hard what then I've had the privilege to be with people that have been arrested for the cause of Christ that were locked up for preaching the gospel in different countries I've heard their testimony about their grandfathers, how they disappeared and they didn't see them for years. And when they came back, they wouldn't talk about what had happened. They just stayed focused on Jesus. Paul said, it's not like I made it yet, but this one thing I do, I'm leaving the past behind I'm not going to allow my past pain my past hardship to overcome me and take me out of this race I've got my eyes on him and I'm going to keep running I want to share this with you we're going to pray here in just a second I was in, I believe it was the eighth grade. 
eighth grade or ninth grade. We took off and we were in a race. It was PE class and we went out and we had to do the 600 yard dash. I didn't know anything about running. I knew I liked Doritos. So I wasn't really in that good a shape physically. That would come later. I took off running, and as I started to run, there were guys that looked like David running. I blew past them like they were standing still. They were eating my dust, and I was feeling pretty good about it. I didn't realize that sometimes you have to pace yourself for the race. Man, I rounded that. There were four backstops we had to run, and that was 600 yards. And by the time I started rounding that second backstop, I'd noticed something. Everybody I'd left behind had passed me up. <laughs> Until finally, I ran alone. I don't know if you've ever run to the point that it feels like there's a knife that's sticking up in your rib, but that's where I was. And I almost walked off the track. But something happened. All those guys that had passed me were standing at the finish line. I started hearing them call my name. Come on, Rick. Come on, you can do it. Don't give up. You can do it. I never realized how important it is to have someone in your corner. I never realized. I thought I could navigate life by myself. I felt like I could do it all alone. And then I discovered I couldn't. I needed somebody in my corner. I was ready to walk off and give it up. And when they started yelling, come on, you can do it, you can do it, I kept going. God is my witness. When I crossed the finish line, those guys jumped all over me like I had won a gold medal. And I realized something. You're capable of more than you know when you finally discover you don't have to do it alone. <laughs> Jesus made the statement. He said, whosoever will, let him come to me. I'll give you rest. This is Labor Day weekend. We're taking a rest from all our labor. Truth is that the only real people that know about labor are the ones that have gone through it. We work every day, go to work every, you know, five days a week, whatever it is. But I'm not going to trade that for a woman that's having a baby. She knows what labor is all about. She's in there, and she's struggling, and she's pushing, and, and, she's, and I thought about hardship and pain first child we had, I'm there trying to help Debbie through it. You know, she's starting to hyperventilate, blood starting to go back up in her IV, and I'm going, baby, just breathe with me. Breathe with me, baby. Breathe with me. She said, oh, shut up. 
She didn't want to hear me telling her about labor. But she was not alone. God was there too. What amazed me was how quickly she changed. She went from this mean, green, yeah, working machine, labor machine, you know. She didn't have, I knew the She-Hulk before it ever came out, man. She went from all that and in an instant became the sweetest, most loving mother you ever saw when they handed that baby. I can't fathom what it was like for him. I mean, do you, do you ever let your mind go there? A whip that's got metal wrapped up in it, and it's ripping ribbons of flesh off of his back. And he can stop it. He could have stopped it. People walking up to him and, man, just spitting in his face, beating him with their fist until his face swole up so bad you couldn't recognize him. And he is hoisted up. So now his lungs are filling with fluid and he, he's struggling to breathe. And if he tries to lift himself up, he's tearing his wrists. And, and he looks out over the crowd that did it and says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I need a partnership with him. I need to know him. So if you're ready to say, Pastor, I want to make a, a new partnership. I, I, I want to reaffirm my partnership. I want him to know that no matter what comes, no matter what goes, I'm not walking away. And I just want to be reminded that he's not walking away from me either. That he's going to love me through it all. Are you ready for it? If you are, just stretch your hands to heaven with me right now. If you're here and you've got a special need, if you come up, we're going to pray for you. But right now, if you would, just stretch your hands to heaven with me right where you're at. And would you say this? Would you just pray this prayer with me, Lord? Thank you for the hardship and the pain that you suffered that belonged to me. It should have been me. But you love me in ways I don't understand. So today, I say thank you. And I want your will in my life. I want to know you in a greater measure than I know you now. I give myself to you and help me to always shine 
the light of your love to others so they can see how much you love them too. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give them a hand clap of praise in here. We love you all. There's going to be treats in the lobby. Wish Debbie a happy birthday. She's turning 21. Makes me 25. <laughs> uh, she can tell you how old she is if she wants to. But she's five. She's seven. She's 57. Okay. Don't she look great for 57? Let's give her. God bless you. We love you. You, you can go on out. You can be dismissed.